Welcome to the Minor Consult, where I speak to the leaders shaping our world in diverse ways. Today I'm joined by Monique Matheson, Chief Human Resources Officer at Nike. I'm delighted to welcome her to the Minor Consult to discuss her approach to assembling a high-performing team, the changing work environment, and how sports have influenced her approach to business. Mo, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to join you. You grew up in a small town in Washington State, and I think your father was the superintendent of several schools, and your mother was also in public education. How did their professions influence your values and your career? I mean, I I really grew up with two public educators. I, I really grew up believing that education was the ultimate equalizer. And I could see and hear from them in our daily conversations how energized they were by the work they did. Um, and they also talked about the impact they were having on the children that they worked on behalf of. They talked about the big benefits of education. So it, it really brought public service to life for me. And, you know, when I think about the values that are enduring, um, you know, I kind of boil them down into this, this very simple framework of, like, I really felt like my parents instilled this, this need to work hard do good and be kind. And they're simple concepts, but you know, it's, it's work hard, that, that work ethic just all day long across every part of your life. Do good is really about something bigger than yourself. It's not just about you. How do you be a positive force for good in the world? And of course, be kind, you know, is just about being, you know, being kind to others who are almost always doing the best they can and everyone deserves some grace and some kindness. So, so these are just enduring and, and they have taken different shapes during different points in my life, but they've never failed me. And, and I'd say with that background, you know, I've always enjoyed this intersection of equity, justice and people. And that's what led me to law. That's what led me to employment law where I practiced for a number of years um, but I found that what I really wanted to do, um, aside from litigation, is really get up the chain into creating the environment where people were thriving, having great experiences, having great careers, having personal success. And so moving from litigation, which things have gone wrong. You know, if you're in litigation, <laughs> something has not gone right. Exactly. And so moving up that chain into being a part of creating something positive. So you're not, you're not in litigation. You're, you're creating the positive part of that. And, and so I've been doing that for 25 years here at Nike, just working my way up the chain, trying to create this environment where people thrive, they can be their whole selves. And, and I think part of what just makes it interesting all the time is its people. Indeed. How, how has your job and how has uh, the people space changed because of COVID? And just curious as to how Nike um, has come to, you know, the other side of COVID. We're hoping it's the other side. Uh, but enduring, you know, unprecedented challenges and experiences in all of our lives and in particular the lives of, of our workforce. Yeah, you know, I I think oh my God, it's changed in so many ways. I mean, I think the the first piece is, you know, as a as a company, we just had to realize that things were changing. 
right? And you, and you had to realize that the marketplace has become so much more competitive. And in an environment that is highly competitive, you have to differentiate yourself. And so we, we got clear really early in this environment where employees were telling us, like, we want more flexibility. We want a safe environment. We are looking for our employers to do more than ever for us uh, when our government might not be there in a way that we want it to be there. So, you know, it's a big expectation coming our way. And so in that environment, we really used a mantra that helped us stay focused on who we are and authentically create, I think, a distinctive position. And we describe it as like, right now, we need to be more Nike than ever. You know, we're not gonna out Microsoft, Microsoft. We're not gonna out Apple, Apple. It's like we have a unique value proposition. And so we needed to be really clear eyed about what that is. And in that space, um, start working with our employees, listening to our employees in a way that was different. And I think very, very healthy. You know, we embarked on this, this new kind of relationship where, where sort of the deal or the fundamental handshake had shifted a bit. And I think that that handshake required that we be really clear about what we expect and we listen really hard for what our employees are looking for. And it's interesting, they, you know, the employees, they, they didn't, employees don't want to show up um, and do their work and earn a paycheck. Like they are looking for a much deeper relationship with their employer than I've experienced in my 25 years. I mean, I hear, I hear employees looking to us for, you know, how do I reach my personal aspirations? Uh, whether they want to start a family um, or they want to have more flexibility and be able to attend their children's events. Um, they want us to support them in being healthy, um, in having financial um, in independence. I mean, they're really, they want, they want more from us. And, and I think it's really created a very um, different sort of handshake ordeal. And, and that's, we're still learning. Like we're in that space listening hard and getting clear about what we need to. And I think when you've got a match, like when what we offer and what we promise to our employees matches what they are looking for, that's the match. Like that's when we're all gonna be thriving and doing our best work and having great business results. Uh, part of Nike being Nike, of course, involves sports, involves physical activity, exercise, and you yourself are an athlete. You uh, were a tennis player at the University of Washington. Um, how does that ethos of physical activity, physical well-being, how does that permeate the company? And then how has it shaped your approach to leadership and Nike's approach uh, to uh, developing its employee workforce? I mean, if, if I just stay with the be, you know, be more Nike than ever, like at our core, we are about sport and at our core, we are a team. And so like the ethos of team and collaboration and innovation, it is, it's so deep in our DNA. It would, it would be, I mean, there's no way you could deny it. So it, it permeates everything about this place. And, and so when we are interviewing um, people, when we are looking to have people join our team, we really do a check for like, is there, 
is there a good connection between what we stand for from a values and purpose stand for and, and the candidate? Um, I'm interviewing for some very senior roles right now, and I'm spending a lot of time with each candidate just talking about, like, what is your connection to the brand? What's appealing about this versus what you're currently doing? And I'm listening for, like, how, what kind of connection do you have with our brand and the business um, that we run? Because that values and purpose and, and brand alignment really is central um, to the people who thrive and have, I think, the strongest careers here. And uh, so I, you know, I, sport is everywhere. And if I just use myself as an example, you know, I would say I'm, I have an athlete mindset and I'm using that every day. Um, I'm, I'm a team player. Like I've always been a team player. I, I'm not a go it, go it alone kind of person. And I learn here at work every day, um, just like I did when I was playing sports, that you're just better. You're better with great people around you. You're better when you know your strengths and you're leveraging someone else's strengths to help shore up a place that you're not quite as strong. And so that team, that team mentality um, is really important. And another theme in sports, uh, particularly over the past, say, decade or two, has been much more focused on diversity and equity uh, than perhaps we saw historically. Uh, and of course, that theme is very prominent at Nike with your leadership. What's been important at building a diverse and inclusive culture at Nike? Um, and in, in, you, you talked before about the people you interview for key positions and uh, and and assessing the fit uh, with Nike. And what do you look for in in assessing people that are going to support the type of diverse and inclusive environment? Um, that Nike has espoused? You know, I start with, in, in, the, in the diversity inclusion space, I, I start with, you know, where, where we start as a company. And we have a very longstanding and authentic position in support of equity, um, sport-related, whether it's women in sports, it's pay. So, so I, I think if you're working for a company that doesn't necessarily have such an authentic position, you might have a, a different approach. But I, I start with like where we start as a brand, and we we really built on this idea that we're we're an innovative company, and and the root of innovation is diversity and inclusion, right? You you know that that's where you get the best ideas, the most diverse ideas, um, that build on each other. So it's it we're not making a business case around why it's important because we know how important it is. And, and so the biggest changes um, that we've seen in the past few years is in being clear about our areas of focus. And so we've been very focused on representation. We just named it and we just said, listen, we want to better represent the communities um, and the consumers we support. And in the space of representation, like it's numbers. And so we you know, I broke it down into a very simple framework of every leader could see, here's what my group looks like, and here's my hires, my promotions, and my exits. And the numbers are telling you you're either staying the same, getting better, getting worse. Like, it's not a, that's not a subjective conversation. And once we were able to just talk about those numbers, then we were able to create solutions that were very systemic in nature because there's no silver bullet to 
fix a number that you want to grow. Like you've got to grow it over time. And so we look at things like hiring practices, diverse slates, um, our talent management rhythms, uh, the way we have targeted development um, for our highest potential talent. And all of these feed into these um, representation numbers and we publish our numbers. It's in the impact report that we publish annually. So we we talk about our commitment, we publish our targets, and then we publish our progress. And my job is to work with executives every day to make sure they understand their numbers and they understand the systemic ways that we're gonna help them become more diverse. And that doesn't sound very, I don't know. It, it, sometimes when I talk with people, they're like, well, that doesn't sound like it's like rocket science. And I'm like, well, it's, it's not necessarily rocket science. It's really hard. Um, and you have to have sustained attention and focus on it. But there's, there's such an effort these days to fix things quick. And, and I, I just, I'm a believer in, like, it's a good idea and you just got to stay on the good idea and stay at it. And progress will come. Um, and in this case, there's no finish line in this kind of work. Like, we've made significant progress and we're not finished. You mentioned earlier that you're currently interviewing for a number of senior positions at Nike. And I was wondering if you could talk about what traits you look for when you're interviewing and, and reviewing the credentials of applicants uh, that are going to directly report to you or, or have a close reporting structure relationship to you. Yeah. The, you know, I start with that value purpose alignment I referenced earlier. So there's a, there's a general piece of making sure we're clear on who we are and what it's like to work here and to see if that's a place that the, the candidate would, would like and would thrive and would sign up for. Then I really think that, that like that quality of people, I, I think about, you know, things like this growth mindset, like who's curious enough to, to be here? Who's, who's curious enough to understand the root of some of the issues that we're solving and can then be a great teammate in how we solve those problems. So there's, there's a real curiosity and growth mindset around the quality of people that we bring in. I, I've just found that the better quality people you're bringing in, of course, the better quality of people are attracted. So when we talk to candidates, if they interview with five or six people and they find those five or six to be stellar humans that they would want to work with, like you're going to just be attracting more and more. So we, 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 we have outstanding people, and I think those outstanding people attract outstanding people. Uh, Mo, you've also been a strong advocate, and you spoke a little bit about it before, but of making the workplace a, a safe place and uh, and also of recognizing that the pandemic has left its effects, uh, broadly speaking. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about how Nike has responded to that and as you've brought people back into the workplace and introduced more flexibility. Um, what challenges has that posed in terms of the management uh, processes of the country, a company, the deliverables that uh, you, you are a company that makes products, you deliver those products, and your, your, the success of your business is dependent upon those products being of high quality and in the places they need to be. Um, so how, how have you meshed those, both with being flexible, recognizing uh, the challenges, the, the mental health effects of the pandemic, 
uh, while also uh, running a business with a huge production schedule and a, and a schedule where and a, you know a, a framework where innovation is expected. I, I'm sure you you can't be doing what you did yesterday, tomorrow, and the day after uh, and expect to to maintain a, a preeminent position in your market. I think the most the most impactful work that we've been doing is in the space of well-being. And, you know, well-being is one of those areas where time and time again, even pre-pandemic, you know, I, I find that when we invest in our people, in their well-being, in what it takes to help them thrive as individuals, like that just pays off like crazy. And, and they stay, they are energized, and they deliver great work. And so we, through the pandemic, really doubled down on this idea of well-being and we think about it holistically. We think about it from a physical health. We our our Nike training club and was available to everybody for free immediately. We have um, mental health awareness. You know, a lot of resources. I'll get back to that in a minute. And then financial well-being. Um, we're really working with our employees every level to make sure they are understanding how to build wealth. But this mental mental health issue. Really, we prioritize that and, and listen to our employees and started working towards helping them be as healthy as they could be. Now, I, the, the role of the employer, I'm pretty clear, is that our job is to enable and provide support. I can't make an employee have well-being. Like, I, I can't do that for them. Like, but, but what I can do, what we can do is create enablers, so programs, and create the environment where they can take advantage of the programs and, and feel like we support their well-being and they can actually feel like they've achieved it. And so maybe I'll just share a few examples. One is um, on the mental health piece, we, we engaged in a, a relationship with a third party and we offered 20 free counseling sessions to employees and their families annually. And in 18 months, we've had more than 63,000 counseling sessions delivered to our employees. And, you know, that tells me there's a big need. And it tells me that employees are not only needing to reach out, but they are able to reach out. And, like, I, that's... I think that's a sign of the times. And I love the idea that we have it available and people are utilizing it. Um, the other thing that we did is uh, a thing called Wellbeing Week. And in the middle of the pandemic, we were just hearing our people were so tired. Like they're just so, ti so tired. And actually the benefits that we were offering, they were so fatigued and tired, they couldn't even use them. So we, we were working hard to figure out how do we cut through all the clutter all the noise and signal to our employees that we care. And our answer was create a week in August, everyone at the same time, it's global. And we're, we're just, we're out for the week. And it's become, of course, I mean, of course it's become a, a employee favorite. I mean, so it's a week off with, with pay, but it also created an environment where everyone's gone at the same time. So you're not coming back from a holiday to the pile of emails. You know, everyone's out and our employees just owned it like crazy. And, and they are protecting it like crazy. No one is emailing and trying to gun and get a foot up during that wellness week. 
they're protecting it. I heard, I was talking to one employee and they were almost like it's law. Like you cannot email a colleague on well-being week and it has turned into what we hoped it would be, but you don't always know, right? Sometimes you try things and they flop. This one, we tried it, and then our employees adopted it in a way that it's been just what we wanted, which was a real clear signal that we care about them. We want them to be rejuvenated and take care of themselves. And we've had them post, like, what did you do on your well-being week? And they've just been doing amazing things on their well-being week. So that was you know, one of the things that we did. But aside from that, we, we are really working to create an environment where people can ask for what they need. And I think that not only requires a well-being week, but we have leaders modeling every day. Like, here's my journey. Our CEO, John Donahoe, on all employee meetings, talks openly about his, his journey. Um, other leaders, including myself, so we're role modeling what we want to see. We've got athletes who are coming out and talking about their mental health. So it's you got to program it, and then you got to create an environment where people can use it, and then you got to role model it so people actually start adopting and you destigmatize the issue. So I, I couldn't be more proud of the work, but it's another space that you're never done. Indeed, indeed. You mentioned before, Mo, that Nike has long had a reputation for taking bold advocacy positions on social issues, both in its ads and initiatives supporting sustainability, racial justice, and other causes. And also, as you mentioned, and as has been emphasized on things like the Edelman Trust uh, Index, trust in government and in broader institutions is really challenged today at some all-time low levels. But trust in employers continues to rise. Um, and I was wondering if you could describe how how you get feedback from your employees on the social issues that you uh, that the company makes a statement on, and also whether or not that feedback in the wake of the pandemic, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, how that feedback from your employees has changed or not. Um, during these turbulent times? Well, I mean, earlier you asked about things that have changed, right? And and I think many things happened during this three-year period. It wasn't just the pandemic. It, it was the, the murders of George Floyd. Um, I would say we we have been hearing from our employees in in so many more ways. And, and they really want and expect to be heard. And so we, I said, we, we've run the range of more informal communication um, coming through our employee networks, um, through leader groups, through groups that are self-organizing, through social media. You know, we, we monitor social media. Um, so, so input is coming. And what we've started to do alongside that is also create a more rigorous internal sensing mechanism. So we, we actively pulse our employees. We actively have, a, have an annual all-employee survey, but we are, we are pulsing on a very frequent basis. And we're listening from these other channels as well. So a lot of incoming information. Our, our employees, just like I think, every, you know, I think one of the things with the, the workforce today is they, they want their voice to be heard. And they're using multiple channels 
and they want it to be two-way. And so I feel like we're doing a much better job at listening and listening harder. And you can't, issue by issue, you can't say you said and we did. Like, like employees, many employees ideally would say, well, we told you, what'd you do? It's like, well, I, I will tell you on the big issues, like you told us you wanted flexibility and here's how we implemented our flexible work policy. You told us you were fatigued and we came to you with well-being week. Like, like we sort of are able to do that two-way conversation on some big issues. Um, but the, the every issue you said, you know, you wanted and we did, like it's just not going to work. So, so that we're trying to figure out how we be responsive without becoming so pinned pinned by the feedback that we we aren't doing anything or we're not moving forward. And and I think that really goes to trust. Right? If your employees at large really trust that when their voices go in, you mine it and you turn it into something, I think you get less of those little nitty like I said, what did you do? And so I, I feel like we're on a journey building trust um, and we have to stay on that um, because the minute you don't have that trust, then there's a whole different dynamic. But I did want to come back to the, the part of the question around the social issues um, and, and where Nike speaks out because you know we have a lot of the social issues that we talk directly with our employees about um, and we have networks that help us organize that. Like we have a black employee network and, and they've been instrumental in supporting each other, helping us know how to support employees, educating us. Um, and so that's very, very healthy, that, that two-way communication. But, but the stand that we take as a company externally on the big issues is something that we do um, based on our, you know, our core values and where we think we can have a distinctive voice. And I know many of my peers um, talk about when do you speak out, when do you not? And because you could be speaking out on the big issue of the week, on every issue, and then your voice is diminished in some ways. So we, we think very hard about when we're gonna take an external stance, and we really try to do that when we believe that we have a distinctive position that will make a difference on a, an issue that we care about and then we go, but you won't find us. We, we won't be in the news on, on the, the issue of the week um, b because that's just not, we, we don't find that to be you know, a, good, a good position for us. That's great. And what advice would you give to employers, to HR leaders at other companies that perhaps are not as far along in the journey of building trust as you are at Nike, and also have not necessarily put into place the types of mechanisms for listening and getting feedback from employees. I, I have the sense that for many organizations, it's it's a question of where to begin. And so how would you prioritize uh, the things that have been important for Nike's success, for your success uh, in leading HR at an extraordinarily complex company? How would you what would you advise those that are perhaps beginning uh, at a more elemental level than, than you're at right now? Wow. So I, maybe I'll start with what I, what I wouldn't do. Okay. So 
what I've, what I've found, and this is through, this through learning and through making mistakes. Um, so I, what I have found is that employees don't want to hear about what you're going to do. Um, they, they want to know, what have you done? What have you done already? <laughs> and then the question is, what you have already done, did it matter to me? And I find that many of my peers and me, an earlier me, was looking to solve the trust issue with, well, let me tell you what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. And here's our checkpoints. And here's where we want to be. And, and that felt compelling to me because I'm a planner and I, you know, I want to share my plan. And what I've learned time and time again is from the employee, it's a much more near term, like the thing that matters to me, if you haven't already solved it, I just want to know when you're going to solve it. And so to this, to start, I guess I would, I would encourage, um, you know, the, the leader to think about, you either need to start listening it could be small, it could be a focus group, it could be a four question survey. You need to find something that matters to your employee group. It could be a small thing. You gotta find something that matters though. That middle ground, you gotta find it. And once you find something that matters to them, you have to solve it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about how, solve it. And then you've got a proof point then you can have a conversation and then you can start building momentum. But I think if you try to build momentum off of talk about what you're going to do, it doesn't go anywhere. And I, there's another, you know, you, you, you'll, you can probably hear me, like I love simple models. There's, there's another one that I, that, that I use, which is like to drive change. I've just experienced leaders over time, like declare the intent, we're going to go do this, then we know we have to change behavior and then we're gonna measure the results. Three basic things. But what we'd like to do is declare the intent and measure results. Declare intent, measure results, and you don't get any better because you haven't addressed the hardest part, which is the changed behavior. And so it's, it's like, don't fall for the trap of big intent and measure results. And and so you gotta live in that space of accountability, changed behavior, the proof point, or I just think employees, and I think even more now, I mean, when I made those mistakes, I think the stakes were a little lower. And I think right now, if you lose your employee's trust, it's so much harder to get back. Yes. Mo, I wanna end with two questions that I ask all of my guests. First, what do you think are the most important qualities for a leader today? Well, I, I would start with the, the core values that, that I just start with, which is that, that basic idea of like, you just, you gotta work hard and do good and be kind. Like that is, that's like a foundation. And, and I think on top of that, great leaders today, they do need to set a North Star or a vision that people want to be a part of. Like that's like my job is to make sure that I'm creating a future or I can see a future, I can describe a future that my team would want to be a part of building and our employees would want to be a part of. And you know, that's that's just the leader's job. Then you've got to be very practically, you got to be a problem solver. 
You have got to listen to your team and understand what is in the way of achieving that vision. And you got to be a problem solver. You got to be curious. You got to be interested, and and you got to be um, action oriented, right? I mean, it, it is the all the all talk no action. That that too is those days are gone. So you've got to be solving the problem problems actively, and you know you got to. I think we've learned this over the pandemic. This idea you've really got to be a human. You've you've got to show your humanity, and. That includes letting people know when you don't have all the answers. I mean, if we learn nothing else, like there, we didn't know all the answers and you still had to make the best call you could. And it's okay not to have the answers and it's okay to tell people you don't have all the answers. And, and maybe the final piece is the humility, like the humility piece of I can always be better, I can always learn. And you don't know where the learning's going to come from, but you know, you just got to be open for it. And you know, I think leading today is is less about the technical aspects of the job. I mean, it is it's it's really been quite a quite a couple of years and but leadership is a premium. I completely agree and I think your your description was extraordinarily eloquent and applies to every aspect of leadership that that I'm familiar with. And my second question is, what gives you hope for the future? I mean, my my biggest hope comes from, I mean, it comes from the youth. You know, it, it, it does. It's, you know, we have we have interns who come, and I, lo- I love the intern energy. Like, I love, they're coming out of M- MBAs. They're coming out of college. They, they have energy and smarts for days. And they are optimistic and want to solve the big issues. So I, I love that energy and I, I get to meet them every year. So I, I'm like, and they're coming. So I like, I, I know they're coming. There's not a shortage. And then I've got two children. I have a 21 year old and a 19 year old. And I, I listen to them and they challenge me. And, you know, I, I listen to the things them and their, their friends worry about. And when I think of some of the the diversity inclusion conversations that that we've been having, I you know I feel like this next generation is not going to have those conversations. Um, I I just I I think there's going to be a a generational sort of movement that will allow people in leadership positions to have fundamentally different conversations, and I think that will be so good for humanity. And the one thing I really talk about with my daughter is like. You got to turn the corner from issue spotting or problem spotting to being part of the solution. And I think that's some of the youth, you know, hasn't rounded that corner, but I'm like, that's going to be a moment. Like that's going to be an amazing moment when all that brain power that's identifying the problems can find a way to be part of a solution. And, and I feel like that's like the journey that I've been on. And I, it's, it's been part of how I could stay here for so many years, but I hope that too will give them energy um, for being positive forces in the world. But I've got all the faith in the world. That's wonderful. Mo, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to The Minor Consult with me, Stanford School of Medicine Dean Lloyd Minor. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Nike Chief Human Resources Officer Monique Matheson. 
Please send your questions by email to theminerconsult at theminerconsult.com and check out our website, theminerconsult.com, for updates, episodes, and more. To get the latest episodes of The Minor Consult, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate the podcast five stars. Your feedback helps make this podcast happen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to our next episode. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and be kind. Be kind.